Right, am I on? Yes. Fantastic. Well, can I first of all thank Adam and Malcolm and Ian for allowing me to speak today, which I'm very thrilled to be able to do. And um, there we go, I think I'm ready. Right, I've got a question. What theme have we been following over the last year or so? Discipleship. <gasps> Brilliant. Discipleship. And looking back, I looked back and the first sermon was on the 10th of September 2017. Are you a disciple? And then over the last year, 2018, we have covered things like disciples are loved, they change, disciples forgive and know they are forgiven, uh, study the Bible, serve, worship, and so on and so forth. So quite a lot of uh, input we've had over the, the year. And um, I would like to share a little of my discipleship walk over the last year in particular, and I really hope it's going to encourage you on your journey with Jesus. And uh, I want to start with a famous... Uh, verse that originally comes from Deuteronomy 6 when uh, Moses talked to God on Mount Sinai. But Jesus also used this verse uh, in Luke 10, 27, when he was asked, what must I do to in inherit eternal life? And the verse is very well known, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Wow. What does that look like in our day-to-day -day lives? Well, in a couple of minutes, we'll look at the story of Moses and the people of Israel and try and unpack it a little bit. But just before that, because quite a number of you won't know me that well, probably half the church, I think, actually, um, maybe. So just a two-minute brief testimony how I became a Christian, you know, my early... Life. So I was brought up in a church-going uh, family, one of six, and we went to the local little Anglican village church every week, and I sang in the choir sometimes, and we didn't really, we never heard the gospel. We had a five-minute sermon on being nice to one another. Really, the Bible was not taken very seriously, but there was something missing in my life. The whole, I knew there was something missing. And I went to university, and I joined the Christian Union, because I'd kind of always gone to church, so I'll join the Christian Union. And I was amazed at the difference with these Christians, because they, when they prayed, they like prayed to a person. Like there was a real relationship, not out of a prayer book. And it only took five weeks, and I gave my life to the Lord. And uh, so that was way back in 1977. Thank you, <laughs> Um, ever since I was very little, I'd wanted to go to Africa as a conservationist. So I, my degree was environmental studies, so I could go off to Africa and study cheetahs or whatever. After I became a Christian, I thought, mm, maybe being a teacher would be a bit more useful. So after my degree, I went up to York, trained as a teacher, and I taught for four years secondary science in, York, in uh, Harrogate and then down here in... Tunbridge Wells in a secondary modern school, which was very tough. And after so four years of learning how to be a teacher, 
I went to Bible college for two years, which was absolutely amazing, wonderful, two years. And then I went out to Tanzania in East Africa for eight years, working with a church in Dar es Salaam, which is on the coast. And uh, I did general church work, you know, youth work and Sunday schools and preached in Swahili, which is much harder than English, so this should be a lot easier. Um, it was a wonderful time, very tough as well. And then in 95, I returned to England and I worked for five years in a care home, a Christian-run care home for adults with mental health problems. And then I decided to go back into teaching, but primary. And I taught at Spelders Primary School for 18 years, um, which is near uh, Tamworth Wells. And I married Phil 14 years ago, coming up to the anniversary of our getting engaged on Christmas Eve. And um, Phil and I came to this church about 10 years ago. I will return to my personal story at the end. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. So how do we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind? Well, the first thing to say is actually that we cannot do it on our own. We love because he first loved us. So if we try and do it in our own effort, actually, it, it doesn't really work. We love because he first loved us. Um, and of course, it's because of what Jesus did on the cross that we begin to see how much God loves us. So I want to share the story of um, Moses and the people of Israel. Some Christians might say, well, what's the Old Testament? You know, there's not best to concentrate on the New Testament. But there is so much that we learn about Jesus, actually, in the Old Testament. That's why we saw that little video at the beginning of the service, which is from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And um, there's a kind of golden thread running through the whole of the Bible pointing to Jesus, and, and the, the writer, the author, uh, or on the blurb at the back it says, every story whispers his name. So every story in the Old Testament whispers Jesus' name in some way. So uh, the Exodus is the story of liberation, isn't it, from slavery in Egypt. But it doesn't just stop at the escape through the Red Sea. So God's people were not only liberated from slavery, but... They were liberated for God's presence. And we're going to read from Exodus 19. So not all of the whole, not the whole chapter, but I'm going to read through Exodus 19 if you want to follow it in your Bibles. I have to go like this now. There we go. So on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. 
So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes and be ready for the third day because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached thick darkness where where God was. Wow, what uh, a picture we have there of this mountain. Um, and in the story, there are kind of three main players, aren't there? There's God, there's Moses, and the people. So we'll just very briefly have a look at those, see what we can learn for, from those three players. So first of all, God. And the wonderful thing is that God is not silent, is he? He's a speaking God. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. So God desperately wants uh, a conversation, a relationship with us. There's communication. And also, he, he says, the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to come down. So he comes. He's coming. There was thunder and lightning with thick cloud of the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast. He comes down and he descended. Do not be afraid. God has come. So he comes down to the mountain. But our relationship with God or their relationship with God was not straightforward because God is a holy God. And in verse 2 it said, they were told to camp in front of the mountain. Mountains don't usually have fronts, do they? Apparently, according to Google, that's Mount Sinai. Maybe somebody's been there. But um, it's like, coming to the front, it's like a throne. They're approaching like a subject would a throne. And Moses is told to consecrate the people. They have to be a holy people, set apart. They had to wash their clothes. And there were limits, weren't there? They weren't allowed to touch the mountain. There's a kind of safety barrier because the holiness of God is something like, it's nuclear. If you imagine a little bit of tissue paper or something and the blast of a nuclear bomb, that, you know, we just cannot survive in front of, you know, the the holiness of God. And there's kind of zones of increasing holiness up the mountain. So only Moses was allowed to go to the top. People have to remain at the border. And if they 
go over and touch, they're going to be killed. So we see for, for God that he wants a relationship with us, but he is dangerously holy. What about the people? Well, basically, they trembled with fear, didn't they? When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. And actually, fear is the right response to God. But um, in verse 20, Moses says, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you. So do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So don't be afraid, but do be afraid. I do believe that people who fear, feel no fear for God are heading for disaster. And the fear is to keep us from sinning because it's the sin that separates us from God. And it's spelt out in verses 22 and 23, which uh, we didn't read earlier. Um, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites this, you have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. So what drives true obedience is a wholehearted, whole heart, all our heart, allegiance to God. And we are asked to love the God with all of our hearts, aren't we? But all sin starts with wanting something or someone else, someone more than God. So we'll come back to that point in a little while. What about Moses? Well, he's the mediator. He's the go-between. And uh, 19 verse 9, his role is spelt out. The people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Do you remember the, the story of the burning bush? Um, sorry, that's meant to represent the nuclear presence of God. Um, the burn, at the burning bush, um, God said to Moses way back before, you know, when he was a shepherd, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So he's fulfilled that promise to bring the people of Israel to the mountain. Um, so the people had to remain at a distance. Moses was the mediator. And if you look at all his comings and goings up the mountain, so verse 3, up the mountain, verse 7, down, verse 8, up, verse 14, down, verse 20, up the mountain, 25, down, chapter 20, verse 21, up the mountain again. Altogether, Moses, who is about 80, or over 80, goes seven journeys up and down the mountain to be this go-between. So he really was a go-between, wasn't he? And uh, God gives... Moses, the Ten Commandments. Um, and the first one, which I'm sure you know, is you shall have no other gods before me. So this is kind of the root of all the others. We, won't worship, we don't worship gods anymore, do we? Or do we? Whatever matters most to us is what will determine our behavior and our emotions. Have you, this is a question I ask myself, have you ever made, have I ever made something more important than God? God's agenda is, Exodus 25, verse 8, then let them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. So not only does he want a relationship, he wants to dwell with us or dwell with the people of Israel. Um, but what's going on while Moses is up the mountain? Uh, not good. Let's find out what was going on. Exodus 32. 
When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered round Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. For this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. They are a grumbly lot, aren't they? As we saw in the video at the beginning of the service. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Um, so it didn't take them long to turn away from God, did it? But all, it's interesting because they're kind of doing something, a festival to the Lord. So There's a bit of, bit of God, but we want some other things as well, actually. God isn't enough for us. Um, Surely we don't worship idols anymore. But actually, today, I'm sure, for many, many people, our desire for created things eclipses our desire for God. You only have to look at the adverts. You know, you've got to have this and Christmas. And I read in the paper yesterday, there's a new illness called nomophobia. That is no mobile phobia. So... It's true, well, it's true if you, yeah, people are addicted to their smartphones. So I'm sure you know, yeah, people, and you're on Facebook and you want to see how many likes you get and so on. Um, So an idol is whatever you cannot give up because you believe maybe your security, your identity, I've got to have all those likes, approval. Yeah, fulfillment or satisfaction depends on it. And our idols don't have to be physical things, necessarily. It could be personal freedom, that's your idol, or success, or wealth. So I've got to, you know, or climbing up through your company, or whatever it might be, or popularity. So much pressure, isn't there, on young people especially? Well, everybody. Or acceptance becomes your idol, or love becomes your idol. They are idols in the sense that they determine our actions. They rule our lives. And uh, Peter in the New Testament says, oh, there's my, yeah, my little calf. Peter, oh, no, sorry, now it came up. Right. People are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Yeah? That's what it says in the New Testament. People are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Oh dear, what's God's response after they've um, done this? He's going to blot them out. Verse uh, Exodus 32, 9 and 10. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. So because of their sin, they're going to be blotted out, but he does say, then I will make you into a great nation. So he's still, God still has his plan to use Moses to make make him into a great nation. God's holiness means 
there must be a response to sin. Same as in the time of Noah. Yeah? God and sin don't go together. They don't mix. Moses, amazingly, intercedes. He really is amazing. He does not want Israel to be destroyed, but he does want them to be holy. So he pleads to God for mercy, but he's not trying to excuse the sin. Holiness really does matter. And he makes the people drink the idol. So he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Yeah. Not very nice, is it? But he wants them to see, really, that idols are just excrement, rubbish. It's meant to kind of shake us out of our complacency. We need to think of those things that are rivals to God for our affections. None of them last. Facebook's not going to last. You know, all our stuff isn't going to last. Sooner or later, it's going to decay. And then... Uh, Moses said to the people, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And then, even more amazingly, Moses says, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So he says to the people of Israel, perhaps I can take your place. He's trying to be that mediator, take the place because of their sin. So he goes back up the mountain and he says, so Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please, forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. What an amazing thing for him to say. He's prepared to be blotted out, you know, so that they can be saved. He wants to take their punishment. So in that way, he foreshadows Jesus totally. He's a picture of Jesus. But... He can't do it. Why can't he? Because he has sinned himself. God relents and says, okay, I won't destroy them. But he does say this, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. So they are going to get punished. Well, it's the crux of the matter. Crux means cross. For God's people, that time came at the cross. The night before he died, Jesus prayed, the hour has come. God sends his own son as an atonement for sin. So at Calvary, as Jesus hung on the cross, he was blotted out of God's book, took all our sin, all the things we've ever done wrong, that we're ever going to do wrong. Father, forgive them, he says. And that forgiveness is granted to us because of Jesus. And when Peter speaks to the crowd after the day of Pentecost. Um, He says, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. So because of Jesus, Moses couldn't do it, but because of Jesus, all the things we've done, when we turn away from him, is forgiven because of Jesus. So, do we have to go up a mountain now to meet with God? There is an amazing little passage in Hebrews. The mountain of fear and the mountain of joy. Just to compare now. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But, here's the lovely but, 
You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So instead of the gloom and fear, it's joy on this mountain. What, how amazing is that? What makes the difference? The people are the same, we're the same, God's the same, but the mediator is different. Jesus, true God, true man. So in Jesus, we can enter that nuclear presence of God and survive. How amazing is that? Well, I just want to end by tying together this together with my walk with God over the last year really. And uh, a year ago this month, I reached 60 years old. And it was also, I also retired from teaching. Yippee-doo. So uh, it was a very, very big change in my life. And I'd also been a Christian exactly 40 years. So 10th of November, 1977, I became a Christian, so 40 years, that's quite biblical, isn't it, 40? So I think retirement is meant to be a time to slow down and think about life. I'm not sure about the slowing down bit, but it definitely has given me time to think about my life, to kind of to take stock. I'm not rushing off to school early in the morning anymore. And I had a chance to sort of think, see where I've been and where I'm going. And I felt, so this is back a uh, lot, beginning of last year or the uh, end of 2017, I felt not exactly unhappy about my Christian life and my walk with Christ, but I felt dissatisfied. I felt I was often just going through the motions, very committed to church, reading my Bible, but feeling kind of unconnected to God, struggling with quiet times. And I kind of felt, is this it? Is this what the Christian life, is this all it's meant to be? Is Why is prayer so difficult? Why does God feel so far away? At the end of last year, so Malcolm, this is all your fault because you recommended a book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. So I decided to have a read. And the first half is about transforming your inner life. And uh, one chapter is called Slow Down for Loving Union. And um, God so wants a relationship with us. Revelation 3.20, which is very famous, but we often... Think of it in terms of new Christians. But it says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So in loving union, we keep that door wide open. And I felt my door had been closed a bit. We allow the will of God to have full access to every area of our lives. I have to say, after reading that, the first half of that book, I just felt really cut to the heart. Um, do I really allow God to know me? Was I loving God with all my heart, soul, strength and soul? I, did, I didn't feel I was. So here's an example. So I'm, like my father, was very into reading the news and watching the news and reading the paper. So every morning early, I would go up the road and buy my Guardian newspaper and I could so easily, happily read from cover to cover, especially the sports, see how Spurs are doing, world news, what's going on in the world, 
have a go, do the Sudoku and another thing and have a go at the cryptic crossword. Oh, suddenly it's nearly lunchtime. And before you know it, the day is gone. And no, no time to read the Bible or no quiet time. And I, that's just one example. I just felt that was my idol getting in the way. Oh, you know, it's so much easier to read a newspaper than to be committed to spending time with God. And uh, it's not just about quiet times. It's about allowing God to every part of your life. And, and also, I just need to say that we're under grace, not law. So when you mess up, it's okay. Because God, well, Jesus has already died for all our sins, hasn't he? Um, a few months later, I think in about February, Ian preached about the importance of reading the Bible. And uh, I think, before then, I could see a bit of my kind of pride. Well, I've been to Bible college, and I know that I know, ooh, I know it all here, without realizing that's where you're going to meet with Jesus day by day in the Bible. Um, so he recommended commentaries by Timothy Keller. Think on Judges. I read it. I was blown away by it. I have to say, I couldn't wait every morning to get up and read the next chapter. It just totally. I thought it was wonderful. And then I did Galatians and Romans, and I don't know, I've done about 10 of them now. Not all Tim Keller. So I, had, I got another Tim, Tim Chester. So that's Exodus. So that's where I've got kind of ideas for today from. But I, it just totally transformed um, my walk with Jesus, really. And I just learned so much new things. Um, and then a little later, Adam preached on worship, and he talked about idols and how Aaron, I've, I've missed that bit where he's, Aaron um, said, oh, I just chucked the gold in and out came the calf, you know. We always blame something else. That's what Adam and Eve did. Uh, Adam blamed Eve for eating the fruit, and then Eve, no, no, it was the, it was the serpent's fault, you know. We were blaming other people. Um, Two weeks ago, I think Terry Virgo came. Who was here when Terry spoke? Yeah, lots of you. He talked about a photo his wife had taken of autumn trees. I, fa I found a photo. It's not his photo. And he said it looked really good on the phone, and they had it printed, and they put it on the wall, uh, and then uh, it didn't look as good as on the phone. And then uh, his son came and said, oh, there's the bit of cellophane... Uh, that you haven't taken off the picture. So he pulled it off. And it suddenly came into color and was beautiful. And that's kind of what my life has felt like this year. And But that's not the end. I bet there are so many more layers to come off as we get closer to God. And when we get to heaven, we will be... Wow. Uh, he, Terry Virgo also says, enjoy the spoils of his victory. You know, it's not because we read the Bible or pray a lot. Jesus has won the victory. So enjoy the spoils. Enjoy his presence. Enjoy reading the Bible and getting to know him better. Because God loves us, then we can love the Lord with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Okay, that's where it comes from. So I want to just finish with um, the prayer in Ephesians Chapter 3, 17 to 19. And I pray that you, 
being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, in my little primary school teacher mind, uh, wide, long, high, deep, what do I think of? I think of a cube. And to find the, air, the volume of a cube, you need to know how long and wide and high and so on. So I kind of think before I'd felt of God's love like a little box. And uh, that God's love is in that little box. And um, I was on, I'd got onto Ephesians of this series. And I've got the name of the person who wrote it, but he unpacked those four words. So wide illustrates God's accepting love. He accepts everybody. There's nobody God doesn't love, you know, male, female, Jew, Gentile, everybody. His love is so wide. There's nobody in the world who, you know, he doesn't love. That's how accepting his love is. What about long? How long-lasting his love is? He never gives up on us. And he knew us from before the creation of the world. That's how long it is, right from before the creation. That's what his love is like. High, that is his exalting love. He not only saves us from hell, which is separation from God, but he lifts us up into heaven. We're seated now in the heavenly places. That's how high. And how deep. That's a picture of God's sacrificial love in Jesus. He went so far deep down to die for us so that we could have this relationship with Jesus and with God, our Heavenly Father. So I've had to change my picture of a cube, and I thought, for those of you who like Doctor Who, it's still a cube, but it's the TARDIS, if you know this program. The inside of this machine is bigger than the outside, and that is what God's love is like. It's just indescribably big that we can't ever get around it. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I want to just thank the Lord for speaking to me. And I hope he's speaking to you. And if anybody, well, maybe there's somebody here who's never accepted Jesus or you heard what Mark said, but I'm not sure. I'd love to speak to you at the end if you don't know Jesus and the amazing Father that we worship. Or if you feel like you've got some idols things that are getting in the way of your relationship with God. I'd love to pray with you as well. So um, come and see me after. So we just finish with a prayer then. Father, we just want to thank you so much for that it's because you loved us first. And in our kind of puny way, we try and love you back. But in a way, it doesn't matter because it's all because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Lord, help us if we have things in our lives that are like idols getting in the way of us developing a deeper relationship with you. I just pray, Father, that you would help us to get shot of those things, to hand them to you, and so that we can really get to know you better day by day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I just have to say that I don't read the newspaper first anymore. 
I can even wait till the afternoon now. Thank you very much.